say stuff sometimes. All right. Tonight we are going to be in Acts chapter 24. I told Mike earlier we're going to do this like one of those movies everybody really likes where we see the movie unfold and then we spend the next 45 minutes going back in time and seeing how we got there. So if you don't like those kind of movies, I apologize in advance. This is just how the, the Lord laid it on my heart. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 24. We're going to read through the chapter, then we'll pray and we'll break into it. Acts chapter 24. And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and the very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, we accept it always and in all places, most noble, Felix, with all thankfulness, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray that thee would hear us of clemency a few words for we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the nazarenes who also hath gone out and about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law but thy chief captain lysaeus came upon us with a great violence and took him away out of our hands commanding his accusers to come out unto thee by examining of whom Thou mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. Then Paul, after the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city, neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there should be resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God or toward men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been there or here before thee, and object if they ought against me. Or else let these same here say, if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice, that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix with his wife, Jerusalem, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith of Christ in Christ. And he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come to Felix, trembled, and answered, Go thy way, for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given to him of Paul, that he might loose him, wherefore he sent for him an ofter and communed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Lord, we thank you that we're able to come out tonight. 
I pray that you will use me uh, in spite of my own faults and failures to convey this message across to uh, Shiretown Baptist Church and that it will resonate in their hearts and that it will motivate them to do as Paul did and no matter what his circumstances were to continue to proclaim the gospel and to go out and spread the light all into the world. We thank you for the cross. It's in your holy and precious name we pray tonight. Amen. So there's Acts 24. Now we're not going to go down and break this down verse by verse because that would take all night. But how did Paul get into this predicament where he's now been pulled in, he's in front of Felix, the governor, who's in charge of everything, and he's got these guys coming to accuse him, and he's on trial again. Well, to see that, we're going to jump back real quick to Acts 21. We're going to look at verses 27 through 36, because Paul made reference to it there that he was 12 days uh, from his trip when he was over in Jerusalem, and he was worshiping. So in Acts 21, 27 through 36, we'll see the first time that Paul gets in trouble. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all the men everywhere against the people and the law into this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophius, an Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul, and they drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they were, went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Then cried the captain as he came near, and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, some another, among the multitude. And when he could not know for certain, he was in the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. And when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people, for the multitude of the people followed after, crying, away with him. So as Paul pointed out in Acts 24, he was in the temple. He was there to worship. He was there to worship. But the Jews in the temple didn't like Paul because Paul wasn't coming in to follow and keep doing the Jewish traditions and keep following Judaism. He was there to let people know that the Messiah had come and that he had been killed. He was resurrected and that they needed to repent of their sins and put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. So he got in trouble. The Jews from Asia, oh, look, he brought in an Ephesian. He's an uncircumcised Greek. This person can't be here. He's not allowed to be here. There's no evidence in the text or in Paul's defense or in the accusations we saw in Acts 24 that this Ephesian who wasn't allowed to be there, this Greek, wasn't, he was never in the temple. We just know that he was in town with Paul. That's what they saw. So then they reasoned themselves, we need to come up with some reason why we can get him. I know what we can get him on. He brought an unclean into the temple. That's what we'll do. We'll get him on that. So they conspired with each other to try and take down Paul. And then when that conspiracy didn't work out to just get him to go away they said, let's get him and let's kill him because that's what they want to do they're threatened by the message that Paul's bringing so they want to just try and silence him cancel him forever we'll just kill him that'll make him shut up but the chief captain of the guard hears hey there's something going on in Jerusalem I can't have a ride on my watch because it'll be my head so he runs down hey what's going on come here you're the one causing all this trouble well we'll just pull you out of the crowd and then we're going to bond you up and try and figure this out later as to what's going on, because I can't have the peace being broken. I'm a peacemaker. This is my job. But then he gives Paul permission to speak, and Paul tells him that he is of Tarsus, that he is a Roman, 
and they say, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I should not have done this to him. It continues on with Paul getting in and getting in trouble and the Lord speaking to Paul while he's there. And if you jump forward a little bit into Acts 22, we'll look at verses 24 through 30. We're going to see something that's really near and dear to my heart. I deal with this every day. What is your citizenship? This happens to be very important in the Roman times as well, because if you were a Roman, the rules for thee did not apply exactly the same as all the slaves and all the other peoples that were around. If you were a Roman, you were up here. Everybody else was a second or fourth class citizen. They didn't care about you. They could whip you without any reason, and it didn't matter because you're not Roman, so who cares, right? So for me at work, where I am, we go through a lot of questions with these people that may or may not be allowed to come into the United States, and one of the questions we'll try to determine is what is your citizenship? And we'll ask them a whole bunch of questions to see if they derive citizenship and didn't even know it. So in Acts 22, we see a similar thing in 24 through 30. So in Acts 22, verse 24, So the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know whereof they cried so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is Roman. Hang on, boss, wait a minute. These, these scourgings, hold on, I don't, I don't know if we should do this yet. We need to make sure we know who we got sitting in front of us before we go violate the law. Verse 27, Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was freeborn. So the chief captain there says, I am too, and I bought mine. This was something that they could do if you had money or you earned enough wage. You could buy your Roman citizenship. So you could buy your way into this elite class where the rules didn't really apply to you, but they applied to everybody else. Sound like anywhere we know? A bunch of rich men north of Richmond, perhaps? The rules are for thee, but not for me. Verse 29, Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him, and the chief captain was also afraid after he knew that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty, wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him for his bands and commanded the chief priests and all the council to appear and brought down and set him before them. So now the chief captain realizes, all right, I almost messed up big time. I almost scourged this man. Just like when you see in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas are imprisoned, the jail keeper's like, hey, look, they said you can leave. Okay, they realized they shouldn't have jailed you, so just please quietly sneak away in the night and just disappear. And they said, no, 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 no. You made a big deal out of it, and we were publicly taken into captivity, and we're going to make sure that they come down and publicly acknowledge their mistake and let us out of captivity, right? So Paul, he's in here, he's getting in trouble. Just like in Acts 16, the Lord was looking out for him. Just like here, the Lord's looking out for him. So he now has given this speech to the chief captain and let him know, I'm a Roman, be careful what you do here, because they were going to scourge him. They wanted to get the truth out of him, right? We have ways of making you talk. We're going to tie you down, and we're going to give you 13 lashes over one shoulder. We're going to give you 13 lashes over the other shoulder, and then we'll depend on how tore up your back is. We'll flip you around, and we'll lash your chest, or we'll lash your back. Forty times save one, just like the Jews were commanded when we were given in Deuteronomy a list of Crimes and punishments. Deuteronomy 25.3 talks specifically about how many times one is to be lashed. And Paul also mentions in 2 Corinthians 11.24 and 27 all the times where he is taken prisoner, his shipwrecks. He recounts all the different things in his journey to Rome, which is where this really starts. Is this his journey to Rome started in Acts 21 
with getting in trouble in the temple and causing a riot. But in, verse, in chapter 23, we see now the council's been brought before them. They've been brought down because the chief captain of the guard says, look, as Roman cult, uh, custom, we're not going to try to get involved in a lot of this religious stuff. If you guys want to do your religious thing, that's cool. Just like when they had the betrayal of Jesus by Judas for the 30 pieces of silver. They kind of wanted to stay out of it and let the Jews handle it. But then when it came time, oh, wait, somebody might need to be tortured and killed. Oh, let us please. We know how to do this better than anybody. We're professionals at it, right? This is our job. This is what we know how to do. We'll get to the bottom of this. So Paul told him all these things, and I'm a freeborn Roman, which made him get upset because he almost made a big mistake. Acts 23, the council comes down. You have the Sadducees, the Pharisees, Ananias, all the big wigs come down, and they want to hear, all right, Paul, what were you doing in the temple? Let's, let's have it out. We're going to have this discussion. What was going on that you caused a riot? Because just like when Jesus was on the scene and he had just been turned over to him by Judas, they wanted to examine him, try him in the middle of the night, even though that wasn't the custom or the culture, right? They still wanted to get after him and try and figure out what was going on. But contrast when Jesus just kind of stood there like a lamb before uh, the slaughter didn't say a whole lot for himself. Paul addresses the council, and Paul gives himself uh, his defense. He starts here in Acts 23, verse 2. We can see what happens. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by to smite him on the mouth. So right then, Paul says unto him, God shall smite thee, thou white-walled, for thou sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. So right off the bat, when Paul's trying to make his defense, Ananias, go smack him. Go hit him. Go punch him in the mouth. Make him shut up. Let's hear your defense. And then when he starts talking, he's just going to have every time somebody go down there to hit him. But this doesn't work out for him because Paul's slick. Paul's also a trained Pharisee, right? We all remember this. He used to be Saul, persecutor of Christians. This was his job. He was an expert at it. So he lays out and he looks around and he says, all right, that one's a Sadducee. That one's a Pharisee. That one's a Sadducee. That one's a Pharisee. Oh, I've got a mixed bunch on this Sanhedrin council that's come down to see me. This is going to be a hung jury. This ought to be fun, right? And in verse 6 of chapter 23, But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee, of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. I am called in question. Verse 7, And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. Paul knew this. He knew that the Pharisees said resurrection was possible. He also knew that the Sadducees vehemently opposed it and would fight over it and say, no, he can't. The resurrection doesn't happen. There, no way. Nobody can die and then be reborn, just or unjust. It doesn't matter. Even though they would have known about Jesus raising Lazarus, they'd have known about the resurrection and Christ coming back and walking on the earth before he ascended up into heaven because we're in Acts 23 and we have that stuff has already occurred. They're still trying to deny what has happened. Verse 7, they're divided. Verse 8, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Verse 9, and there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if the spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And it continues on, their dissension is so great that another riot breaks out, and now you have the Sadducees throwing chairs, whatever you want to imagine. They're having their Donnybrook fighting over whether resurrection can happen or not. Meanwhile, Paul, who's supposed to be the one in trouble, is sitting there going, little help, guards, I'm Roman. 
pull me out of here. And they do. They pull him out of there. And then a conspiracy is set against Paul for the rest of 23. And he gets clemency where he's allowed to have visitors. And his visitors find out about this saying, hey, we're going to get him. We're going to get him at night. We're going to take him out. And we're going to kill Paul the next time they bring him out. So the guards go, hey, wait a minute. We can't have Roman blood spilled on our card. This because that punishment will then be on me as the chief captain. If my captive dies, then the punishment goes to me that whatever he would have had, then they would have doubled it up on me. So he hatches a plan and whisks Paul away at night and sends him over. Hey, go to Felix. Y'all out of jurisdiction, send him over to another county. Get him out of here. I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want this on my hands. Much like Pilate was trying to send Christ away and let Herod go look at him and say, here, you go find a fault in him. I don't see anything. And then Herod says, I don't find a fault in him either and sends him back to Pilate. It's a little game of hot potato that nobody wants to have the blood on their hands. Same thing here. They don't want to have that blood on their hands if Paul gets killed by the mob. And that's where we pick up Acts chapter 24 when we see Ananias comes back down and he says, Hey, Felix, I hear you've got this prisoner, Paul. We were trying to have our trial and there was a riot. What's going on? And he also brings with him an orator or a lawyer to come out and we see the opening there in 24 he opens the first three or four verses it's just all bootlicking oh great Felix you're great we have such peace and prosperity because of you blah 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 lip service right he's just licking his boots trying to give him you know to lean him his way so that the case will go the way that he wants we see the same thing today in court even in our uh, United States judicial system where the opening statement you got the prosecutors come over and talk to the jury, try to make eye contact with everybody, try to be all genuine. Then you have the defense attorney comes up and it's his turn. He does the same thing. This is not new to us, and it wasn't new to them. This was the way of their world to lick the boots and try and get favor from the person who had the gavel, essentially in this case the judge, which would be Felix, to decide what would be Paul's fate. Now we go down and we can see in verse 6, they continue to go on and say, in Acts 24, verse 6, Who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. Sounds a lot like how we read in 21 what was going on. They had a conspiracy that he must have brought this Ephesian, this unclean person into the temple, even though no one saw this unclean person in the temple. We just knew that he was communing with them. Just like when Jesus would sit down with publicans and sinners and they would accuse him, you sit down and you break bread with publicans and sinners, right? A lot of what's happening to Paul is all just same playbook. Just Let's dust that play sheet out, boss. Let's do the same thing that didn't work then. Maybe it'll work this time to try and get him. And it doesn't work. Because as we continue down, verses 10 through 16, as Paul gives his defense of himself and says, hey, here's what happened. Here's why I got here. I used to be one of those. He made reference to Acts chapter 9 in his other trials before the, they broke out into chaos and riots. And he makes prelude to it again about how he used to be them. He knows what they know. He was one of them. And now he's on the other side. Verse 16, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of the offense toward God and toward men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor tumult. They said I did all these things, but nobody has any proof of it. Verse 19, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had ought against me. And if there are witnesses to these offenses that I supposedly did, they should be at the trial, right? 
they should be here to give witness to what they saw. Verse 20, or else let these same here say, if they have found any evil doing in me, while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. And then he's talking about his other trial. I talked about the resurrection, and they went into a riot and started fighting each other. I didn't do anything. I just asked a question. Verse 22, and when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. He says, I know who was there. I'm going to get the chief captain. I'm going to get one of them down because y'all said he was the one that came in with great violence and broke up the riot and freed Paul. I'm going to bring him down. We're going to figure this out. I'm going to bring in one of my guys that I trust, that I know. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or come to him. So we're just going to hold on to this Paul fella. All of you Jews and you, you Pharisee types, y'all can go ahead and leave. This is a Roman matter now. I'm going to take care of business. Y'all, shoo-shoo, get out of here. I'm going to bring in the chief captain, and we're going to get to the bottom of this. Oh, and by the way, since Paul's a Roman, and he's a freeborn Roman, that is, he inherited his citizenship, he has rights to get visitors, so he can have visitors too. But he also knows more about the way, and how does Felix know more about this way? You know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by him. How does he know about this? Well, because when we see Drusilla come in here in verses 24, his wife is a Jew. So she knows some of the old tales. She knows the Judaism. She knows about the, the prophecies of a Messiah who was going to come. And now he's got somebody sitting in his castle in his keep that they're holding saying, hey, I know about this. The Messiah was Christ as he had given his defense in the previous trials in the Acts uh, in the chapters prior. So now Felix is curious. Hey, I need to know more about this this Jesus person he speaks about. I want to know more about what's going on here. And my wife, she comes from that Judaism background. She knows about this prophet that was, these prophecies that say that there was a Messiah to come. And now this Paul, he says that the Messiah came and it upsets these Jewish elites so much that they've tried to kill him and started riots fighting each other over the things he says. I want to know more. Verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning faith in Christ. So now, imagine this. You get accused of a crime. You know you're innocent. You didn't do anything wrong. You go up on the stand, and when you make your defense for yourself, you use that platform as a place to go and evangelize and let everybody in attendance know about Christ and about the gospel and about the path to salvation and that they need to repent of their sins and put their faith and their trust in Christ. That is what Paul did. He did it so much so that even the judge that was over his trials said, hey, wait a minute, I want to know more about this. Let's have a special session where I bring my wife in who knows about this Judaism thing and that speaks of this Messiah. You say the Messiah has come. Come tell me all these things concerning faith in Christ. And that's exactly what happens in verse 24. Verse 25, and he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So he's all right. You can still be here. We're going to keep you safe. But I still want to know more, and I need to, to talk with you again. In verse 26, now we see some bribery. We see what Felix was really after. He, he was curious about concerning the way and what Christ being the way. He wanted to know more about that. But he also wanted to take some money and put it in his pocket. Verse 26, 
He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. So he says, where's my bribe? Where's my satchel money? This was a common practice in the Roman Empire. If you were accused of something or you got to have a meeting with a governor, somebody had power to free you, you would come. And since he was allowed to have guests, the guests should have been bringing him money so that he could go, here you go, Felix. Let me out, man. Come on, man, let me go. And that's not what happened. But we see this as an example of how corrupt the system is and how corrupt the Romans were. It wasn't bad enough that if Paul wasn't a Roman, that he would have been scourged right there the first time they rolled him up in 21. Now we see that they wanted to have, hey, give me some bribes and I'll make this go away. That sounds like, I don't know, what's been in the news the last couple of weeks, huh? It's funny how this is Paul thousands of years ago, and here we are in 2023, and when Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, it hasn't really changed much. The nature of man is still looking out for himself. The nature of man is still the sin of self. We're still greedy, and we still look for, how can I profit? How can I benefit from this? What can I get out of it? This corruption was nothing new to Paul in his day. He used to be the number one persecutor of Christians, where the chiefs, hey, come on, elite Jews, come on. He, he wants to go? Here, we'll put a seal on it. He can, he can go out of town. He can go over here because he is so good at rounding them up. He knew about this. He also, being a trained Pharisee, would know Genesis 6, 11, and 12 when the earth was corrupt and what was going on. And God looked down and saw that men had corrupted the earth. And then two verses later, he tells Noah to build an ark because he's about to cleanse the earth with the great flood. So this wouldn't be unknown to him. 1 Samuel 2, 12, the sons of Eli were corrupting the offering. They were corrupting the position of being the sons of the priest, and they were taking the offerings, and they were taking the burnt offerings and the meat that was being boiled, and they were supposed to do the rites and the rituals, and then instead of taking the stuff out that they were supposed to, they were just putting it in their cups, and they were eating it. They were defiling the temple. They were taking and getting personal advantage of taking advantage of women in the temple. They were doing all kinds of terrible things. That's what led to Samuel being there. This kind of corruption, conspiracy, bribery, these things are not new to us, and they wouldn't have been new or unheard of to Paul, which is probably why he used the resurrection to get the Sadducees and the Pharisees to start another fight, because he knew that it would turn them against each other, and while they're too busy fighting with each other, they couldn't continue their trial to accuse him. Corruption's nothing new. The Biden crime family, Richard Nixon, Dick Cheney, Halliburton, Kellogg, Brown, and Roots, DOD contracts. You can look up just about any politician and find all these problems that they've had. Felix is no different. He's saying, where's my money? Where's my bribe? Right now, the former president, Donald Trump, is under conspiracy charges, and he's being tried in a U.S. federal court, and he's got another indictment in Georgia. Just while I was preparing this message, another indictment on him. 18 United States Code, Section 371, describes conspiracy as, if two or more persons conspire either to commit any offense against the United States or to defraud the United States or any agency in any manner, for any purpose, and one or more such persons do an act to take effect of that object of the conspiracy, each shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than five years or both. Conspiracy under our time sounds a lot like what was going on back then, except for replace government with the word. Those people were conspiring to try and stop the spreading of the word by taking out Paul. They wanted to take Paul down. They wanted to kill him and put him in the ground because they thought if they could take out Paul, cut the head off the snake, this Christian movement would die. Because they didn't learn when they killed Jesus 
And he came back three days later. The movement didn't die, and the persecution in Acts 2, 3, 4 only made the church grow faster. So God can use any situation we're in, no matter how bad we think it is, you know, how woe is me we are, how, oh, I can't get through this, we found ourselves in the situation. God can turn and work anything to our good. Imagine Paul. He's already been in prison. He's getting out of prison. Now he's about to be beaten to death by a mob. He's been left for dead, right? He's had all these different things going on. And then we have three real quick trials in succession from Acts 21 through 24. And he gets to the end of it. And the governor says, where's my bribe? I want some money out of you too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect you. Where's my money? But yet God would use this because Felix would not take any more action with Paul. Look at verse 27. But after two years, Porcus Festus came to Felix's room and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So there, he says, all right, I need to know more about this Christ. I want to know more about the way. Tell me about it. Also, where's my bribe? I want my bribe. And then, since he didn't get his bribe, well, you can just stay here for two years. Just house arrest, basically. You can't leave. You can have visitors, but you can't go anywhere. He already knew he was innocent. He, he displayed that earlier. In 24, he could tell he was innocent. That's why he wanted to come talk to him some more because he was curious about the gospel. He wanted to know about Jesus, but he also wanted some money. So even though he made it, hey, I want to know about Christ, he also still had that sin of the flesh of I also want to line my own pockets, right? Same thing happens with Judas. He seeks out the Jewish elders to betray Christ. They didn't go around and be like, can we get Peter to turn? Can we get John? What about James? Can we get these guys to turn? Judas went to them and said, hey, what will you give me if I turn him over? That corruption, that greed, that love of money, 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money being the root of all evil, that same thing is here in Felix as he's saying, where's my bribe in 26? And then in 27, hey, I didn't get my bribe, so you can just stay until the next governor takes over because my term limit's coming up. I know I'm about to be replaced by Festus. I'll let Festus deal with you. And that, as Paul Harvey would say, is another story or the rest of the story how it ends, if you've read the rest of Acts, we'll give a real quick summary. This is what leads to Paul getting to Rome. The thing that he's been trying to do to go preach the gospel and share the gospel in Rome. Him getting arrested in Acts 21 all the way up through the corruption of Felix leads to Paul finally getting to his goal of going and being able to be in Rome and being able to go about Rome and spread the gospel and share the word in Rome. So hope for us tonight to look inward and see what are the things that we see or obstacles in our way that we think we can't get over to share the gospel, give out a tract, invite somebody to church. Paul was beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, put in, char put in, in charge of, of guards that were trying to, to scourge him against the actual rights and laws of Roman custom. He finally gets his seat with the governor to say, hey, this is what's going on. What does he do? He turns around and he shares the gospel with him. Even in the midst of it, he turns around and he shares the gospel with Felix. And what's his reward? Two more years in prison. <laughs> but eventually getting to his goal. Perseverance through all of it because Christ is in this plan. God is in this plan. And Paul knows that he is doing the Lord's work. He's got that faith and trust in Christ that whatever happens, happens. And just like when he was beaten and almost you know, left for dead and they had to scoop him up and carry him out, and he recovers from that. The Lord wasn't finished with him yet. The Lord wasn't finished with him here in Acts 24. And the Lord's not finished with you. It doesn't matter what your age. doesn't matter where your walk with the Lord is. If you're not sure how to, to share the gospel, 
Come talk to me. I'm good at talking to people. That's all I do is talk to people all day. I'm so good at the government pays me for it. Talk to Paul. Talk to Dan. You can talk to Alan. We can tell you. And if you're sitting out there tonight and you're looking at it and you're like, I don't know if I'm saved or I don't know, I don't know that, that Christ is the way, the truth, and life. I, have, I don't know that for sure. If I died tonight, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Don't be like Felix and put it off and just try to, maybe somebody else will figure it out. Take it up now. Talk to one of us and we'll let you know what it is and how you can be on God's team. Because when revelation comes, you don't want to be on the wrong team. I'm telling you. You want to be on the right team. Be on the winning team. Be on Team Jesus. All right. With that, I'll close out in a prayer and then do a final song.